pretty much summed up what I believe is the role of the association and what I'm aspiring to. And that is where we are going to lead, we need to lead well. And we lead in sales and marketing, we could even do a better job in those areas. But we have 14,000 member, maybe 15,000 member companies that look to us and we need to set the standard and we need to give them the tools or at least the direction on where to go to run their businesses and be as successful as possible. And that is what I think the association's core purpose is. Hi there, and welcome to another edition of the Promo Kitchen Podcast. This is Mark Graham, and I'm joined today by fellow chef Johanna Gottlieb for this special interview. Today, we sit down with the new CEO of PPAI, Dale Denham. Dale is a very familiar face to the PK community as he served on the board for many years and helped establish Promo Kitchen as one of the leading nonprofit organizations in our industry. Dale's day job for the last 10 years has been serving as the CIO of Geiger, and before that, Dale was a senior VP at ASI. When Paul Bellantone stepped down as CEO of PPAI in 2020, the industry knew that his successor would have some pretty large shoes to fill. After months of an exhaustive search, the board recruited Dale to fill the role. In this wide-ranging conversation, Joe and I speak with Dale about the reasons for his career move, what threats and opportunities currently face PPAI and our industry, the continued importance of diversity, and how he plans to lead our industry's largest trade association through today's challenging climate. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as Joe and I did. A very warm welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you are certainly no stranger to this podcast, but what's unique here is that I think this is the first time you have been a guest and you've been on the hot seat, so to speak. Yeah, I don't know whether I'm happy about that or not. I like the interviewer side. It's a little bit different being on this side. <laughs> no doubt you're going to be great. So we've got a lot of things that we want to talk about with you over the course of the podcast, so let's jump right into it. So I think the first question that a lot of people listening to this want to have answered is, Dale, can you tell us about your decision to join PPAI as its new CEO and to leave Geiger as the CIO of that organization? It's a long, boring story that I'll try to wrap up into a short story. As a former board member, the recruiter reached out to me and many others and asked what we thought the new CEO should be and what to look for. And I gave my honest feedback and never during that conversation did I think I would be interested in this. And at the end, the recruiter said, would you be interested? And I quickly said no, because I really loved what I was doing at Geiger. It's a great company. I've really enjoyed my time there. And so I just said no. And the recruiter followed up with me several different times. And ultimately, I just said, look, I'm not interested. I'm very happy. And they said, why? Why wouldn't you at least think about this? And I agreed to think about it after several weeks of back and forth. And I stopped and I started thinking about it. And it's like, well, this does kind of seem interesting. So I mentioned it to my wife and she said, why aren't you applying? You're crazy. And so I started thinking, but I really love what I'm doing. And it really was hard for me to leave something that I love so much. And the people that I work with, I've just developed a great relationship. And then ultimately, I said, okay, I'll apply. And I went through it. And the more I got into looking at the opportunity and looking at the job description, 
it really was a perfect fit for me. And so I said, I have to pursue it. And it's a great opportunity. And I'm fortunate that they selected me and I'm happy to be here. That's a great story. And I want to dig a little bit more into that. Can you share with me the maybe one or two lightning strike moments that really convinced you this was the right thing to move to? It's going to be hard to put it down to one or two, but I think that if I had to put it down to the main thing is I love to make a difference. Mm. I love to be a change agent. I love to be able to make things happen. And when you look at where the association is right now, it's in a great position for change, but it's also in a very, still a great leadership position. It's well-respected. And that's a very important thing to me to join a company that is well-respected and it's very stable. At the same point, it needs to change. And so when I looked at that and I looked at how much I know about this industry from the service provider side, having been with ASI, from the distributor side, having been with Geiger, and even for a couple of years, we owned a supplier at Geiger. So I even understand the supplier side a little bit. And then, of course, serving on the board at PPAI. So it was almost as if I'm not changing jobs. I'm just changing the focus. I'm moving back into a leadership industry role as opposed to just an industry company leadership role where I played a leader as well. And that just seemed like a great fit to be able to do that and to really impact the industry. I love being able to help businesses grow. And so instead of helping one business, I'm hopefully going to help 14,000 member businesses. Right. Fantastic. What a great way to look at it. And as someone that served with you on the Promo Kitchen board, I can attest to the fact that you do like to make a difference and you do make a difference as much as you can. Thank you. And that means you put up with me when I pushed you on many things as well. Put up with you, meaning I beg you to stay on. <laughs> I know you're not in Dallas. And I understand you're not moving to Dallas for this position. Tell me about that decision and how you see the rise of the virtual CEO. Well, I have been commuting for nine years at Geiger. I have lived in Florida for all but the first year. And I wasn't sure how it was going to work, not because I didn't think I could do it, because I've truly been traveling my whole career, most of the time, 50% of the year. And I didn't know how the employees would handle it. So I was in Geiger probably two to three weeks every month for several years. And then it went down to two weeks a month and then sometimes down to one every three weeks. And then as I picked up new responsibilities several years ago, I went back to more. And it's really just about making sure you have the right relationships with people. And so it'll be important in Dallas that I'm there. My goal right now from a personal perspective is to be home one full week a month as well as most weekends. Otherwise, I'm going to be in Dallas or with members. That's not an ideal thing for life to be traveling three weeks out of the month, but it's what I'm going to need to do for quite some time. And even if it weren't for COVID, I think the world has changed a lot where people understand it, but COVID has clearly made it where people understand, oh, if you work from home, you really aren't slacking off. You are really working. And I'm a huge technology adopter in video conferencing and reaching out to people and connected in every which way. So for the most part, if you think about when you're working in an office, how many people you see on a given day, I'll see probably as many people on most days than 
as if I were in the office. You're really limited to a couple of people that you tend to have meetings with. So COVID has made it much easier for this to work. At the same point, it is still somewhat unconventional and it will take my staff and the team at PPAI more getting used to than it will me, but they're somewhat used to it because they've been traveling and their leaders have been traveling for a long time. So I'm really not too worried about that. And I don't think they are either. Yeah. I mean, you're right. The pandemic and everything has really changed the way we all work and the way we all think. I was in a shared office space downtown and I have learned so much about where I need to be and why and how to better use my time moving forward. So agreed. And I would say that some things are more productive working from home. Some meetings are better online, but it also has proven how much we need to see each other and have face-to-face meetings as well. Yep. So I don't believe you can be 100% virtual. Well, some people can, but in my role, you definitely need to be with the team at least once a month in meetings, talking about things that you wouldn't necessarily do or aren't as effective over a video call. Yeah, that makes sense. So changing gears here, you worked at ASI as a senior VP from 2000 to 2010. What did you learn at ASI that you'll bring to you with your work at PPAI? I had a great experience at ASI. I look at it like a business MBA. What a great organization to have been at early in my career in my 30s. Prior to that, I had been at a startup and that startup wasn't well-funded, but I made things happen. And when you make things happen in a startup, you don't have a lot of cash. And so I learned how to really pinch pennies, invest carefully. And then when I joined ASI, probably the biggest thing that I learned was not everything has to make 100% financial sense right from the get-go. There's a reason to make big investments and a reason to take risk. Just like in the stock market, the bigger risk you take, the bigger investments you make, the more likely they're going to pay off big. And again, like in the stock market or like in PE, not everyone's going to pan out, but the sum of the parts, some pan out. And so you can afford to have a loser now and then. And ASI did teach me how to make those investments wisely and how not to be afraid to spend money. I learned all sorts of other things, but that's one of the biggest. And then Norman Cohn, who Mark, you and I interviewed on this podcast years ago, and just one of the nicest, kindest human beings, while also a very, and the word that I'm going to use is not fair, but ruthless competitor. He's not ruthless in the sense that it sounds like, but he's competitive and wants to win and wants to take care of his company and his employees. And so I learned that you can be competitive and a business side of things while also being just a wonderful human being. Yeah, that was a very memorable episode and we can link to it in the show notes. It was so memorable that we had to do it in two parts. Yes. (laughs) So Dale, talk to me about the first 90 to 100 days on the job. You start on Monday. We're recording this now on August 11th. You start on, I believe, August 16th, 2021. You're going to be busy for those first 100 days. Tell me what that's going to look like. You got an hour? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) We can edit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, you know, externally, most people won't see too much in the first 90 days. And that's largely because, well, I'm a person who loves to take action. I want so much to just make action and have people go, wow, look at this is happening. That's happening. But for a couple of reasons, that's not how I'm going to operate here. Number one, it's just stupid to do that when you don't know what you don't know. 
So they're really going to be spending a lot of time learning internally, but also externally. So I am going to be doing some member visits, but a lot of member reach outs, in particular with members who are actively engaged with the association. So a lot of people are going to want my ear early on. And those who have volunteered or are volunteering or engaged with the association in some meaningful way, I'm going to be trying to reach out to literally every one of them in the first 90 days and get their take on what do they think? What are they seeing? And specifically internally, what are we seeing and what do we want to stop doing? What do we think we're doing well? What do we think we need to do better? A tremendous, tremendous amount of learning. Hopefully around day 90, day 100, you'll start to see some changes, but still, I don't expect anything dramatic. So that first 90 days, I think you said this at the beginning, it's all about building the team and getting to know and relate to the team. From your vantage point now, a few days before you start the job, can you share with me what you think the biggest threat that PPAI faces as you step into the role? The obvious threat is Expo. It's this primary revenue source for the association. We didn't have it this year. And if it weren't able to be run next year or future years, that's a huge issue. PPA has to expand and diversify our revenue stream. It's not the only piece. We also have membership. But unless we have a strong revenue stream, we don't get to do good things or as many good things in terms of advocacy and giving back to the industry. So a reduction in revenue is the biggest threat. And of course, that's Expo. It also is probably the biggest benefit that everybody enjoys. It's where you go and meet with everybody. If you want to meet anybody, that's the place to go because, you know, I hate to use the cliche, but everybody who's anybody is there. I hear you loud and clear that revenue diversification is one of those things that is going to be at the very top of your list. Are you able to share maybe one or two other things that you look to change about PPAI and its business model? Or do we need to speak at day 100? I would rather speak at day 100 because I do have a couple of things that I want to change. But I don't want to even say those into the staff until I hear from them what their viewpoint is. So let's just say I thought we should you know, launch a bake sale you know, in the summer. I wouldn't want to say that now because somebody may have that idea and already have it planned out, or maybe they want to do something different. They know more than I do, and I want to hear them before I make the priorities. So I would love to do a follow-up with you in 100 days after I've had a chance to not only establish those, but share them with the staff and the board of directors. And I think you're smart to go into this position, this is just my perspective, I think you're smart to go into this position with your ears wide open. Yes, you have a lot of history with PPAI, given all the different roles that you've played in the past. But even though you are a person of action, I think that you run the risk of alienating the excellent people that already work there if you come in and say, I've got all the answers without actually listening to people. So good on you for that. And I can imagine probably pretty challenging given your hard-charging personality. So I salute you. Well, thank you. We'll see how how well I do. You can follow (laughs) up with anybody on the team and see. I'm sure that I won't do as well as I hope, but probably better than some might expect. And as we all know, it's been an interesting couple of years. I was talking to Kate Plummer yesterday who said 
she's still trying to get over 2020 and realize 2021 only has four months left. So mm. 100 days is going to fly by. And I can't wait to check in with you and see where we're at. Where do you see opportunity for this industry? Where in the promotional products industry do you think will be in the next couple of years, two to three years? Where are our best opportunities? Well, that's a really deep question for me. And if I look at it, it's hard to say different from the association and just as an industry perspective overall. I'm really struggling with how to answer that because if you answer it as a distributor, it depends on which markets you want to chase and how you want to go after it. I guess the one thing I can say is it's probably the consistency of what we've heard for years. We have the only marketing medium that really, other than online digital ads right now, isn't being challenged by the online digital ads to rip our revenue away. So if I were to say, what is the best opportunity? It's to position ourselves as the complement to the digital marketing, which is sucking money out of newspapers, magazines, and everywhere else. Things have gotten so impersonal when it comes to advertising, although it's personal when it's digitized, right? So I can target you better with messaging, but the dollars from ads have flown out of everywhere else. They should be flowing more into our industry and we should be positioning ourselves for that. I absolutely love that answer. Dale, I want to maybe ask the flip side of that. We've talked about challenges at PPAI, but I'd love your perspective, just as someone who's been in the industry for the better part of two decades, what's the biggest threat to our industry, not PPAI, the broader industry over the next two or three years? Is it Amazon? Is it government regulation? Is it end client indifference? What threat do we need to be aware of? So of course, Amazon is always a threat, but I don't know that I would say it would be the threat to the industry for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's really a threat to specific companies. And frankly, that could be more of the digital companies out there than the ones who are relationship, more relationship-based because even the online companies are relationship-based, but not as much usually as the personal sales out of Salesforce. I think government regulation could have some problems, but I don't think that's the big one. If you really talk about the next two or three years, I think the biggest is just the overall economy. But if I look longer term, if I can just take your question, go a little longer term, I think that the biggest threat to our industry is direct importing. And you always hear about distributors worried about suppliers going direct. I think the direct importing by distributors is a huge threat to our industry. Right now, it doesn't look like it because nobody can get importing done. It's very difficult. So we've all gone back to trusting the people who do it really, really well. But our whole marketplace is built on suppliers having enough buying power and distributors buying from those suppliers and getting good quality products at good quality prices. Whether it's the distributor doing direct importing or the buyers is really where I'm more worried, where those larger buyers, some of them already are buying their own items directly. And so when I think about a threat to our entire industry, that's the big one. And to me, what it says is we as an industry have to be really efficient so that our margins aren't so high that it makes people want to deal with those hassles. I think that that is a very interesting response. I think it's also a great segue to this next question that I have about member categories. So the question is, PPAI, of course, along with ASI, have played significant roles in defining traditional member categories for the industry. 
be they supplier, distributor, service provider, end client, so on and so forth. Do you think these member classifications will change in the future? For instance, will we ever see a supplier distributor or an end client distributor ever become a recognized entity in the eyes of the quote unquote industry? Hard to say for sure, but I guess I will answer it with, I think there will be some changes. I know the board has been, and I'm not involved in those yet, but the board has been looking at those membership categories to try to make sure they are current for what we see today and where we need to be in three to five years. But it's very challenging to figure out how to do that in a way that both helps the industry grow, but also communicates to people why it needs to change. And I think that's one of the areas where I am going to be fortunate given my deep understanding. If we do have a new classification, you mentioned, is there an in-buyer I don't know if you just said in-buyer, in-buyer distributor, but if there is an in-buyer component to membership someday, I think I will be in a place as opposed to an outsider to be able to come in and say, this is why it makes sense. There are already suppliers who have distributors. You know, Geiger owned a supplier at one point. We found it was better to focus on the distributor side of things for us. There are distributors who stock, which makes them a little bit of a supplier. So there's all these nuances in our channel today, we just don't classify them that way. And maybe they don't need to be, or maybe they do. So yeah, I do think there will be some change in talking to others. And I would love your opinion on it right now. What do you see? Where does there need to be change? We're going to get into this a little bit, but I think PPI is doing a great job in leading some DEI initiatives. I think it's a slow effort for everyone. And this is a deeper conversation, but you know, the passing of George Floyd, it'll be 18 months when Expo rolls around. And that was during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic that's still going on. And I think it gave a lot of people time to reflect on their own journeys and where they want to be. And PPI has done a really good job of, you know, they had rolled out the handbook the year prior. And then in 2021, they rolled out the DEI task force. And so I know Bob has done a really good job with that. I think you guys are doing a great job in leading some initiatives around that. If members can pay attention to some of the things you're putting out there through Promo Connect and all these great resources, we can go a long way on that. And that's something that's really important to me. I'd like people to lean on PPA a little bit more for that, for the education aspects you guys offer. Well, let me just talk about DEI for just a minute, because I think that is an interesting way to look at the question about our membership. The diversity in membership clearly is very minor in terms of skin color. We're a diverse industry in the sense that we have quite a few females in the industry and even in leadership positions, probably more than I think most industries, but I don't know that for sure. But while at Geiger, we were going through a DEI process as well. We renamed it to the JEDIs, the Justice, Equity, Diversity, Inclusion, and Sustainability. So we had a little fun with it. But I took a course at USF, a certificate program online, And it really challenged me in my own thinking. And I think of myself as very open-minded and welcoming. In fact, one of the best books I've ever read that changed my thinking on all sorts of diverse topics was a book called Far From the Tree. And it is a giant book. Each chapter is a book in itself. There's a chapter on the deaf community, a chapter on the children of rape, and a chapter on child prodigies, and a chapter on transgender and all sorts of different things and the communities and the problems they face even within their own community. So the deaf community doesn't like deaf people who give their child surgery to help them hear. 
because then you're saying being deaf is a disability and you're less than non-deaf people. And wow, when you read these things and you understand within each community how much challenge there is, even when there's already agreement from people who are all deaf, it's mind blowing how challenging it is for those of us who aren't in that to understand that. But it does help us. And so when I look at DEI initiatives, for me, the biggest thing is how do we get each of ourselves to truly question who we are, where do we stand, and be open to things that make us really uncomfortable. I think it's very hard to do an education program or a book or anything that really changes people. This is something people have to really want to opt into. And I do think PPAI has a role to play here. I think what they've done already is really great, but it's going to have to be a lot more personal. And I look at the USF program that I took, which was, I think, eight hours, maybe it was 16. And wow, the most I got out of it was my own thinking. So how do we make people think? And our industry is truly diverse. I only mentioned male, female, but we have a lot of people in LGBTQ plus and other areas that are diverse. It's not just all about skin color, but I agree and hope PPAI takes a lead role in that. I do want to talk a little bit more on diversity, and I love the feedback you've given us. It's a stated mandate for PPAI, and under Bob's leadership, PPAI has made some great progress. I mentioned the DEI task force, which has been around now for about seven or eight months. I know myself, since I'm the chair of that task force, Bob has been really active sitting in on meetings and doing the work and leaning in and asking some hard questions. How will you help to continue the momentum of creating a more diverse industry? What do you think we can do? I know, again, from the distributor perspective and really just human perspective, one of the things I've been talking to distributors, suppliers, and service providers about is, one, holding each other accountable. And so when we do webinars or we do our networking sessions around these subjects, I'm constantly asking people to reach out to me on LinkedIn and saying, If you'd like me to check in with you in three months and six months and say, how is your journey going? What's working for you? What can you teach me for my organization that I don't know about? And sort of checking in with different members. And I've been doing that for about a year. And it's been really great to learn from people that say, thank you for checking in. I've sort of fell off the wagon. Business has picked up. Economy is better. I haven't been leaning in. I needed that accountability moment. Or on the flip side, Thanks for checking in. I wanted to let you know we've completely revamped how we hire and the wording we're using for interviews and how we approach new interviewees. So for me, I love that accountability factor. I'm also sharing with industry members that are either service providers, distributors, or suppliers. You know, talk to your alumni organizations. One, it's great networking. We all could do better at that. But For me, I'm connected with both the colleges I went to get my undergrad at and my master's. And I've reached out to the alumni teams there and said, here I am working in this industry. Marketing is very broad, very vague, very big scope. So let me talk to future students, incoming students, and students leaving the colleges about this organization, how they can enter it. We need younger, newer people, fresher faces in this industry. And we could all do a better job of reaching out to our alumni organizations and talking to them a little bit about this really fun industry. Again, marketing is such a broad umbrella. And so if we are able to do a little bit of extra work, it's such a great idea to get involved with your alumni organizations. And so for anyone listening, that's a really great way to recruit into our industry now. But Dale, how do you think we can continue the momentum? Well, first of all, I haven't been a part of the PPAI, DEI initiative, so I don't know specifically where we're at. 
So that'll be one of those things on my first 90 days that I'll have to learn a lot about. But I do want to say Bob in general, and I'll come back to your question, has done an outstanding job as the interim president of the association, both as a member myself watching the role that he played and the decisions that he made, but then also now that I'm starting to get inside and understand the operations and what has happened, Bob and the team did great under his leadership. And I'm excited to be working with Bob. I've known Bob for years and I really like him and Alan and the whole team. So first, just kudos to Bob for his entire leadership. Back to the DEI specifically. I think the challenge for most organizations where PPAI can help is in getting started. At every place that I've spoken with people, that's been the hardest part. And even at Geiger, well, what do we want to do? How do we get this done? And so I think helping kick off those initiatives is probably the main thing we can do is get those who are interested to kick them off. And I love what you said about accountability. I love building in some sort of accountability partners. And that may not be the association. And this is one of the wonderful things about PPAI and our industry as a whole. We have a lot of people willing to volunteer and you following up with people and others. So that's, I think, the role we're going to have to play is create the structure that makes it happen and then be accountable to people who make sure other people are accountable that we're following through with it. I think that's probably the biggest thing. The other is just to live it. And I think that's what we all have to do. And by that, I mean, it doesn't mean we have to hire people just strictly based on DEI, but it means that we have to live DEI in our workplaces and when we talk with people. And I think the more we live it, it will influence others. I think the perspective that I would add on this very important conversation is to challenge all of us in the industry to think about how we think about people outside of our industry. There's a lot of jokes about this industry being Hotel California, where you come in and you never leave. And I think the assumption there is that you never leave because you hop from job to job. And this particularly happens in the sales side of our industry, whether it's a distributor side or a supplier side. And so what happens there is that people become, this is a general statement, they become generally more comfortable with an existing salesperson, with an existing book of business, with existing relationships, existing experience. and that is seen as a much safer hire versus bringing in someone from the outside that may have a more diverse background and maybe less experience. And I think that that's really our, probably your single biggest opportunity is bringing in fresh talent that's not just recycling folks that are already in the industry. And I also think that that is the way that we grow. We don't grow by Johanna hopping from place to place. We grow by hiring the next Johanna who can join forces with Johanna and go and grow a book of business. So that's my little soapbox rant there. That's really great. And I love that you tied it into the diversity, equity, inclusion, because I hadn't thought of it that way. And I am very adamant that we have to grow this industry. And you just really raise a great point that when we're just moving people from one place to the next, that doesn't help as much. Unfortunately, that's the majority of it. And so that's a good challenge for me to think about how do we help and I know that it's been talked about for years. And Johanna, you mentioned about working with universities and such. We need to make this an attractive place for people to come into. And that starts sometimes at universities, but even beyond that, bringing in people and making sure they get paid through that first couple of years that are tough. And then it works out long-term for the whole industry. Great point. And fantastic conversation. I, honestly, we could have an entire podcast that is just on this extremely important topic of DEI. 
Dale, I want to switch gears and ask a question about PPAI again. And noting that when Paul left, Paul Bellantone, of course. Who? Yeah, who, who is that guy now? Yeah. <laughs> I think he wants to be called Halo now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe he's the guy in charge of the laptops. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's an inside joke for those that weren't on the prior part of this call. Anyways, the question is that Paul Bellantone and I believe his predecessor, Steve Slagle, were from the association management background. And Dale, you're a departure from that. You, of course, have got for-profit experience, not an association executive. You're a technology executive. And so in many respects, you're very different from the traditional look of a CEO in the organization. You got the job, yet I know that a lot of people would have considered whether the right choice was to hire an association executive or maybe even an executive that had nothing to do with the promotional products industry at all. Could you talk a little bit about why you think your experience and background is the right one for PBAI as opposed to bringing in someone who has no baggage whatsoever with the promotional products industry? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's one that I thought about in the process early on. And one of the key things I said to the recruiter when I was telling him who I thought they should hire was someone that would be able to call anyone in this industry who would be interested in taking their phone call. And what I mean by that is not an obligation because it's the president and CEO of PPAI, but because they have something to offer. Yep. And yes, first of all, let's talk about the association aspect of it. I think that we have a lot of really great association people already in PPAI. I don't think we need another association person necessarily. So yes, you could go outside the industry and bring in another association person or just another business person, and that would bring in a new perspective. But I know they interviewed over 500 different people for this, and a lot of them were external. So this is not a process where they excluded people from the outside. It was they came to decide with the mix. So why does my background fit? First of all, nonprofit doesn't mean you don't make a profit. It's just where you invest that money. And so having driven profitable organizations to even higher profits, and usually in the firms that I've worked in, they've reinvested to grow the business, not just to line the pockets of the owners. So I think that it's very similar in that respect that while you want to reinvest in the industry, you need to have a profit. And in terms of the technology side of my background, it's one of those things that's a blessing and a curse. I'm well known for my technology. The funny thing is my degree is in business in my entire career. I've been running businesses just always around technology because I leverage technology to grow businesses. And so there will be a component in PPAI where I bring technology into PPAI, but we're not going to be a technology organization. We're just going to leverage technology in a better way. My business background and my knowledge of the industry is additive to people like Bob and Alan and Ellen and others in the organization that know the association space really well. Just like I'm going to learn so much from them over the next 100 days, over the next year, I'll learn from them. They're going to learn from me, somebody who's been on the inside of the industry. I think that's a great answer. And for the record, I know when Paul left the position, I remember, and I shared this with you, Dale, when we initially spoke a couple weeks ago, I remember thinking, you know who would be great for this job is Dale Denham. And, and then I thought, oh, there's just no way he'll take it. So I think that just to show my cards and certainly my relationship and Joe's relationship with you, 
I think it's very exciting that you come in not as an association executive. You come in with industry experience. You've had a perspective at a quote-unquote association like ASI. You've had that private industry experience on the distributor side, ostensibly maybe a supplier too, and then also have the technology side. So I think that you probably may find yourself getting trapped with some of the industry politics that maybe an outsider would overlook. But I also think you're going to bring this unique perspective and won't be afraid to make some tough decisions. So not to place some high expectations there, Dale, but that's what I think of the opportunity. You both know me well enough to know, and you've been in board meetings with me, I am not afraid of a challenge. I'm not afraid to tell people what needs to be said. What I think makes me better to address those challenges is I will be able to talk to people knowing the background and the history of why it's going to upset them if we do something. But still, I have no problem looking at them and saying, this is what we're going to do. And Mark, I was surprised at the number of people who were happy it was an industry person. I hadn't really thought about whether it would be an industry person or an association person that how people would react. It was surprising me how many people were really happy that we have an industry person as opposed to another association person. Hopefully that pans out. We'll see, right? Yeah. Right now, everybody's happy and saying wonderful, nice things about me. If they're doing that in the year and three years from now, then I've done a good job. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> I've got one other question for you, Dale, and then I want to turn it over to Joe, who's got some excellent questions here. It's making sure that we get this one in about Expo. And I know that we talked about Expo in the context of revenue diversification. I want to ask another dimension to this question around Expo. There's nothing really to do with revenue. It's about the relevance of Expo. And we all have gone through COVID. We're still going through COVID. We've seen the incredible success of working from home and virtual meetings, virtual conferences, so on and so forth. We see changing behaviors amongst some of the younger industry professionals, maybe some of those newer folks that I just talked about that are coming in without that Expo experience. And you're just also seeing competition from other organizations as it relates to people's time as they travel to places. There's some considerable headwinds there. Now, obviously, there's many opportunities, but considering some of those headwinds, how do you see Expo fitting into that and then potentially overcoming some of those obstacles? This is my favorite question that you've asked so far, only because I'm most excited about this. Because a year ago, when I was looking at this, I looked at it one way and having the hindsight of the last year, I am actually looking at it totally differently. And this is one of the reasons why you have to really listen early on. I think Expo is likely going to be stronger than ever, maybe not this year, but long term. And here's the reason why. You can look at all the meetings. Yes, they're very successful online, but people are dying for a chance to engage again. We just had the SAC show and it was very well attended in the middle of a very big variant challenge with COVID. And people were there, very few masks, lots of hugs, kisses, handshakes. I mean, probably more than I would have even been comfortable with. But this is people dying to get back out there and live their lives again. And dying is probably a bad word because, but they're really excited to get out there and do this. So for me, you mentioned the constraints of time and all the other places. Expo is that one place yeah. where everybody wants to go and be there. So Expo is probably going to end up being stronger and it's more the other events 
that are, I think, more challenged. And I do think there's a long bit of challenge with the number of trade shows and suppliers getting tired of having to be here and there. But as long as people keep going to all these smaller shows, they will continue to happen. Yep. Expo, though, I think Tom goes used to say it forces collisions that wouldn't have otherwise happened. And that's because we're all there. I feel great about Expo both this year, the attendance and the booth sales registration is sales are good. The pre-registration, I don't think is even opened yet, but based on where SAC was and what I'm hearing from people, I think we're going to have a really good show. And that's before the pandemic is truly over. I think you're absolutely right about that. And I know I personally, and I certainly think that Joe feels this way, absolutely love technology and the productivity that you get with virtual meetings, but the desire to get back together in person is extremely high. So very excited about Expo 2022. Now we have to do a good job of making Expo safe for those who are concerned. We have to give a lot of value, but Expo already had a lot of value. So as we just keep adding to it, it's just going to be that much better. Absolutely. I want to go back to all the feels and all the positive things that you were talking about when we talked about the buzz of you being announced for this role. I know you called some people to tell them about this news the day before it was released, just to give them some one-on-one time. What's the most surprising thing someone said to you when you shared the news with them? Besides, wow, Dale Denham is calling me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess if I can, I'm going to answer it just slightly different. You can come back to me and ask me again if you want. Well, first I'll answer a little bit. I think the most surprising thing was what I mentioned. I had not really anticipated the overwhelming support for an industry person. I really just assumed people were going to be happy with whoever it was as long as it was a good person. But what really surprised me the most, and I'm totally sincere about this, I've had some of the nicest things said to me by my staff that anybody's ever said about me. And I won't go into all the details, but I didn't realize how much of an impact I was making on people over the last nine years. And it literally changed my life to hear some of these things that people said in the sense of how I view just doing what I think is normal. And so I guess if I were to extrapolate that out to the industry people, the fact that some of these people that I've really not spent that much time with outside my employees have said such really nice things about me. I always feel like, and some of it is just like, oh, that's nice, good for you, whatever. But some said some very specific things about how I made them feel. And I never really intended to try to make somebody feel a certain way. And it just made me feel really good that I've left such a good impact on so many people. But for me, the biggest thing was my staff and some of the things they said, which I can't share here, but it made me cry and will continue to make me cry. I will be saving those and looking at those on my bad days. That's great. As a feeler, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> Staying on that, you really do have a great outstanding reputation in this industry. And it's really been remarkable for me to hear such powerful and positive feedback from people about the news of your new role. What advice can you give others in this industry about how to set themselves up for a successful and long-standing career? And maybe three weeks ago, you didn't have the answer to that question. And maybe this feedback that sounds like you've gotten has given you a chance to think about some things that you've done that have touched people. What advice can you give for someone that wants to have a long-standing career in this Hotel California? (laughs) You know, again, it sort of goes back to, I never really was thinking about 
what my next move would be or anything like that. And I don't think that's what people really should be doing. But I have always been careful to associate myself with people that I respect. And that also has been with companies. So I do think you somewhat get judged by the company that you keep. And going back to the ASI days, I almost didn't join ASI because at the time there was a huge amount of animosity between PPAI and ASI. And I was somebody who had been involved in volunteering in the association at the company I was at prior and really liked the association. But I really saw some opportunity at ASI. And so I called a couple of people that I really respect, including at that time, Gene Geiger. And I said, look, I'm thinking about taking a job at this company and I really want your opinion. And it was striking to me the number of people who said, look, I don't like this or I don't like that, but they're a good firm and I respect them for this or that. And I had the blessing of a couple of key people that said, go ahead and go to ASI. Obviously, they couldn't stop me one way or the other, but I was careful. And so what I would say to people is be careful where you go to work and who you associate with. There were a couple of times in my career, both at Geiger and ASI, that I had opportunities to go to other firms in the industry that had some bigger upsides for me. But they weren't firms that I respected and they weren't people that I respected in the sense that I felt like I would change them. I thought they would more change me. And I want to be someplace that if they're going to change me, they're going to change me for the better. And I can say very much at both ASI and Geiger, while I made tremendous impact on those organizations, I was changed in ways that I am a better human being for that. And so look at a place that you respect, that can help you change for the better, and don't take the move just for a little bit more money. Good advice for anyone in this industry and good advice for our children. Okay. You currently have a CIO title with expertise in technology. I want to talk a little bit about technology and PPAI. What is the most important thing around technology today that you want members to lean into? You know, what I find with technology at every company that I talk to, companies that I've worked in, everybody's chasing the next big thing, whether it's artificial intelligence, this or that. Mark, you may have been in the room when I was volunteering on something with PPA maybe seven, eight years ago, maybe a little longer. The buzzword back then was the cloud. Everybody's got to be cloud computing, but nobody knew what they were talking about. So for me, it's not chasing the next big thing or there's a particular technology people need to leverage. Although if you really wanted just one, I'd say, you know, and now it's the cloud, but I think people understand that, which is, you know, my wife's laptop, the power button's broke and we had to send it off to get service, but she can keep working on the device because everything is stored in the cloud. So those who aren't doing that, you know, shame on you. But for me, the biggest thing is, Take time to learn whatever that key technology you're using all the time is. Learn it really well because we waste so much time by not doing things efficiently. You lose out on opportunities to give yourself an hour or two hours a day. I am a efficiency guru. I have so many tips and tricks that I share and use that I forget how many things I can accomplish. I know it's hard. Look, I don't learn as much as I used to about some of the newer things and programming and things that other people are, but I leverage whatever technology I'm working with on a regular basis. I dive deep into it to get the most out of it. And that's what I would say PPAI members and anybody really should do. Technology is not the answer, 
technology is a part of how you solve the problems. And it's knowing which technology tools to choose and apply to each situation that has made me so valuable because part of that is your skill set. So if you look inside PPAI, it's not a technology savvy organization overall as an outsider. Maybe it is. There's some good people in there. I know. But as an overall, it's not a you wouldn't think of I don't think of PPAI as a technology leader. Do either of you? Because maybe you do it. I'm wrong. No, I think you're right about that, Dale. Okay. So, you know, it's not like I can walk in tomorrow and turn IT on and make things work for the association a better way. It's getting people to adopt different pieces of technology and figuring out what team we have in place to help drive that forward. So when you ask what people should lean into, it's learning how to use what you already have, deciding if it's the right thing for you. If it's not, then go get something else. But if you find yourself chasing the next thing and the next thing, you're probably doing it wrong. Yeah. I think, Dale, your perspective on that is really interesting. And I think it's a wonderful way of kind of summing up what I feel PPAI represents. It's not so much about technology as much as it's about everything. And it's this organization that promotes great education in a whole different set of elements of how it is that you run your business. So to the point you were making about technology, PPAI is encouraging an open mindset with regard to great tools across the entire tech stack, then I think that that's PPAI's greatest role, much like how PPAI promotes great sales and marketing tactics. And at the end of the day, if we as members can look to PPAI as an authority in terms of where to direct us to learn and to better our businesses, then I think that that's the ideal role for the organization. You've pretty much summed up what I believe is the role of the association and what I'm aspiring to. And that is where we are going to lead, we need to lead well. And we lead in sales and marketing. We could even do a better job in those areas. But we have 14,000 member, maybe 15,000 member companies that look to us and we need to set the standard and we need to give them the tools or at least the direction on where to go to run their businesses and be as successful as possible. And that is what I think the association's core purpose is. Yes. So Dale, we joked at the beginning that we could have gone on for two to three hours with this discussion, but you know that we always like to give our guests the opportunity for the last word. Is there anything that you would like to leave the Promo Kitchen community with in terms of advice, tips, things that we haven't discussed on this podcast? The floor is open to you, sir. Great. First, I'll say thank you to everybody who has reached out to me and said really nice things. And thank you to those who didn't say mean things who wanted to. Mm -hmm. But I do actually really want to hear the negatives of what we need to work on. My staff, who I have worked with for 10 years, will tell you that I am really adamant about getting feedback. I pick a direction and I go that direction until somebody says, here, you need this information. And the sooner people are giving me that information, the better. But bear with me because sometimes you're not going to like the direction, but it sometimes works out. And I could give you story after story where over the last 10 years, we had initiatives where I would had a lot of resistance from internal sales partners, but in nearly every case, they'd come back some people that were very outspoken on some initiatives and said, thank you, this was a good decision. So I would say, bear with me. And with that, I will leave the tip that works 
for me really well and explains how I run things. And that is the first thing I do, and you've heard me say this beginning, is I learn, I listen, I grab as much information. I call it connecting the dots, but there's no real way to connect those dots. It's not like dots by numbers. I have all this information. Now, where do we go with this? So I make a strategy from that. And then from there, I've always got too many things that I want to do. So I prioritize. So I've, I've learned, I've strategized, and then I prioritize. And I'm doing this with people internally working with me. That's not just me. Then we execute, right? And then from there, we measure how did we do? Did it hit the objectives we set out? And so there's a lot of different words for it in lean terms. It's plan, do, check, act. For me, it's learn, strategize, prioritize, execute, measure, and then you repeat that. And everybody should be doing that in their business constantly. And one nice thing about being a new person coming into the association is it's much easier to tear things down that you didn't build. And I don't plan to tear them down because most things have been torn down due to COVID. But in your business, if you've been there five to seven years doing the same things, what would you do differently if you were walking into the business today? Take a look at that. Learn, strategize, prioritize, execute, and then measure. Great way to end this. I'm so excited for the next 100 days and to see what lies ahead for you. Thanks, Johanna. Thanks, Dale. This was a fascinating conversation. And again, on behalf of the entire PK community, we all thank you. And best of luck in this exciting new role. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org slash donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.